Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Are you ready? This this is a very cool passage. We're about to hit going through the New Testament in the order in which the books were written as closely as we can with modern scholarship. We're in Hebrews chapter 7 and we're about to be introduced to somebody who is of great mystery not only to us but also to the the Jewish people of the time that this was written. They knew the name. They knew the story. That's the thing. There's only one story. And it's a quick appearance in history out of nowhere. Abraham's just moving along and out of nowhere, a priest of God shows up. How? There were no Levites. There wouldn't be Levites for a very, very long time. Well, where did this guy come from? How did he know about God? Who, who made him a priest? Well, that's a complete mystery. But Abraham recognized that he was a priest of God He did give gifts, he made sacrifices, Melchizedek blessed him. And in chapter six, this writer who is elevating Christ to his proper position, which is above all and through all and in you all, he says, um, Jesus entered that inner sanctuary and was ordained a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now here's where the Jewish recipients of this, and please, they do call it Hebrews for a reason. It was sent to that section of the church and to those who weren't sure if they were going to follow Jesus or not. This is his argument for following Jesus. But it's also an incredibly interesting book. Uh, If I was on a desert island, Hebrews and John would be the two books I would want to have with me. Um, You can pick yours. People have asked, well, why not the Psalms? Well, the Psalms would be brilliant, but I really, really like it like John and Hebrews, so I'd probably stick with them. Anyway, here we go, this mysterious person. Ready? Chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. Got to stop already. Where's Salem? Well, Salem is another word for peace, like Shalom. And Jerusalem has Salem in its its name. This... um, We can't locate Salem on the map, but that's okay because we couldn't locate the vast majority of place names, not only here, but in in any historical sense. It is really hard to figure out uh, what place was what. Here he comes. Melchizedek is a king of peace or king of a place called Salem, which is means peace. Either way, It's nice to sit back and think about that, isn't it? A king of peace came by, a priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. There's a tithe. If you're wondering where that got kicked in, here, here it is. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem. It means king of peace without father or mother without genealogy, 
without beginning of days or end of days, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. God sent somebody to the most important person in Jewish history, because he's their founder, Abraham, sent him into his life out of nowhere, blesses him, Abraham worships God and gives tithes to the priest. Why would you do that? Why, why would you hand that to the priest? Well, because the priest speaks to God on your behalf. Whenever you have people who labor for you, the scripture says to be, um, to be very generous with your gifts and your wages. And that's whenever we go out to eat, we make sure that we're very kind and generous to the wait staff. When we're on an airline, we're very kind and generous to the uh, flight attendants. Whenever a, a doctor works with us, we show them respect. Whenever church leaders uh, work for us, we show them respect and, and gifts are appropriate. That's what Abraham did here. But it is so cool. Where did he come from? We do not know. Where did he go? We do not know. What was his... Who is his father? We have no record. And now he says, just like Jesus. Because Jesus was not Joseph's father, or the Joseph's son, there have been those that you know, look, go back and forth between Luke's genealogy and Matthew's genealogy, and yes, they do vary. Uh, they do differ on some pretty cardinal points. And I've I heard it explained away several times when I was younger. Well, one's a genealogy through Mary, the other's through Joseph. No. No, it's, it's a bit more complex than that, but regardless. Um, you can go back and look, but you know that one big killer is that there's no male input into the line of Jesus, not on earth. So Jesus literally comes out of nowhere. And how many times did people bring that up? He's from Nazareth? You're not gonna get a Messiah out of Nazareth. Or we know who our father is, who's your father? That, Jesus suffered through that because he literally came out of nowhere on night in Bethlehem. It's a great story. I believe it with all my heart and it still gives me chills. He appeared, this visitor from another realm. It's amazing to me how many people believe in Bigfoot, uh, ESP and UFOs and they'll go, well, you can't, you can't believe the Bible though. Those stories, okay, fair enough, but I, do, I believe this story. My father um, was doing mission work in Guyana, South America, and he had, as he always did, went off on his own, off script, off route, way deep into the jungles doing his own thing. And he would use medical missions as his way of getting there because he, he actually went back, I think he was in his late 50s, early 60s, and became an EMT so that he could take medicines with him and. Uh, do that you gotta admire that so he came back to talk to me and he only talked to me once about it and I, I won't do the spoiler alert yet he's back there where he's been the only white man he's seen for a long time and then out of nowhere walking through the jungle here's a white guy who's wearing like a photographer's vest uh, fisherman's vest one of those with a whole bunch of pockets everywhere and the man stopped, introduced himself to my dad, and they got to talking, and the man reached behind him, and he had this big pouch on the back of his, his vest, his waistcoat, 
where a big Bible slipped in. And he's able to pull that out and they talk to each other. And dad was absolutely convinced this is one of our guys because he's right on everything just like we are. Uh, and that mysterious meeting, I don't know exactly how long it lasted till the guy just you know, got a drink of water and said, thank you. Turn around and walk back off into the jungle. And I was thinking, yeah, that happens in the Bible sometimes. You think, well, we're the only ones who know who God is. And then God says, I have sheep and other pastors. And then he surprises you. My dad kind of leaned in and I was thinking, that's coming. He's going to get it. And he goes, do you know where I can get one of those waistcoats that would fit a Bible? <laughs> I'm going, that, that, that's, what you, that's your takeaway? Oh my, um, but hey, dedicated, he, he, had, um, he had tunnel vision for his job there. Here, out of nowhere, comes a priest. And then verse four, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch, Abraham, gave him a tenth of the plunder. Plunder from a battle they'd had, he'd had with five kings, which, by the way, is attested to in archaeology, which is kind of cool because... Little things like that don't often get mentioned, but it's carved and it's been found. So, yeah. Uh, and by the way, kings, five kings, forget castles and the like. You could be a, a king was basically a tribal chief that had pretty good tribe. And didn't have to be that many people at all. But still, it was a win. And he gives him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi really sneaky is about to happen here. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priest to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, Melchizedek, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had promises. Um, Abraham was the promised, was the one who had the promises. So God, here God sends this fellow, not a Levite, and he blesses Abraham. I mean, Abraham's supposed to be a blessing to the whole world. Isn't that what the promise is? Go look at the promise to Abraham repeatedly, that through him all nations upon earth will be blessed. And yet here is someone who is blessing Abraham. And blessing back then was not a small thing. They believed that their words shifted things in the universe when you made a blessing. You were not telling the future, you were forming the future when you blessed. So this man's so powerful, he can form the future of Abraham or at least affect it. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. They put in here seven seven to remind you that a greater one than Abraham showed up out of nowhere and blessed him. Verse eight, in the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. What? Okay, we don't talk like this. We're not Semitic people. Now, if you're Semitic, yay, <laughs> I'm glad you're watching. Uh, it, and so you get it. If you've been around, you know, if you've been raised in urban America or something, maybe not. But if you've gone to synagogue, you've gone to mosque, um, you, you're, a, you're a Sufi, whatever, wherever you come from in the Middle East, if you've been around your people uh, and worshipped together with your people or 
that you um, you've gone back and visited those lands, well then you know how this works. It is a rhetorical device. The Levites collect the tenth, but they will die. Did Melchizedek die? As far as we know, he's still living. He's kind of like Schrodinger's cat because we haven't looked in the box. He's living and he's dead. Both possibilities. Always think Schrodinger forgot the third possibility. There is no cat, but regardless. Um, looking in, you see, there he is, but then he's gone. Is he alive or dead? Well, the Jews did have stories that Melchizedek was an angel or that he was an emissary from God's council of some sort. Therefore, he didn't die. And the whole organization of the writer's thought here is to push you toward understanding that there were greater ones than Abraham who were priests and they were not from the tribe of Levi because there were no Levites at this time. One might even say, verse nine, that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Now this is a biological concept that they had, which we understand is not correct, but they used this to great effect and really it's kind of a cool idea. You ever seen the little dolls, the Russian nesting dolls? And there's a doll of like a, um, painted like a babushka, you know, a nice grandmother. And then you open it up and there's a slightly smaller one, same, same doll. Open it up and it goes all the way down till you finally hit the one you can't open up because it's just a tiny little one, tiny little babushka. They believe that that's the way humanity worked. So, I was in the body of my great-great-great-grandfather. And that's why I was able to be born later. We were always in the body of our ancestor until we came out. And then all of my descendants are actually still in my body. By the way, ladies, they considered you basically an incubator. You were just to make the seed grow. And this is why being childless was such a, um, a shame and a social stigma to these peoples because they, they always felt it was a woman's fault. You know, that, and, and again, very, very sad. But instead of running down that rabbit hole any further, understand the argument that if Melchizedek is blessing Abraham, that means he is greater than Abraham. But in Abraham is Levi. And all the Levites, all the priestly line, which means Melchizedek is greater than them. So there's not only a priest out there, which is greater, well, back up. Not only is there a priest out there who is not a Levite, there is at least one priest that every Jew knew about who was greater than Levi. By the way, the Jews listening to this point, the non-Christian Jews or Christian Jews, listening at this point, not one of them would be going, no, that can't be right. All of them understood this. They were, they were tracking. Then verse 11, if perfection could have been gained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. And Aaron, 
the son, Levi, that's where that comes from. For when there's a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who's become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but upon the basis of the power of an indestructible life. That is, sit back with that for a while. If you need to pause, fan yourself or sit down for a moment, that would be completely understandable. So what's going on? Whenever the change of law came, then we have a new line of priest. But the Jews had had one law since Moses. Yeah, but there was another law before that, and that was just the patriarchal law, whatever that your patriarch said. Um, they all understood that as well. He says, but now a new law has come. And this law is going to be, going to have its own priest. And this priest is Jesus, who comes from a tribe that Moses never mentioned when it comes to priest. So he's, he's acceding that part of the argument. You're right. Jesus did not come from the Levitical line. For it is written, it, it is declared, verse 17, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Well, who said that? Well, that's all the way back in Psalm 110. I'm not, you're hearing pages turn? Because I'm a complete troglodyte here. I'm using a paper bite. It's already downloaded in convenient form. So, 110. It is a prophecy psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn. From the womb of the dawn. Yeah, I love that. You will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And he finishes by saying, you will conquer. You will drink from the brook peaceably, but you will crush the others. There is a king above all kings, that's Jesus. Therefore, there had to be a priest above all priests, and that is Jesus, the high priest. And he is a priest forever because as the writer here says, he has proven he has an indestructible life. They thought they destroyed him, but he was back in three days. That's the kind of priest you and I have. And everyone has, Jew or Gentile, because Christ came to save the earth, not to condemn it, but to save it. The former regulation, he says in verse 18, the old law, we might say, is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Now, here's where I'm gonna ask you to be exceptionally careful. I grew up thinking that the Old Testament was there for our learning, but basically stories and that everything else in it was just kind of to be shoved to the side. And in fact, most of the Bibles I owned growing up were just the New Testament, sometimes with Psalms tacked on at the back. 
It is not saying here, by any stretch of the imagination, that the old law was a mistake or that the old law was ineffectual. What it is saying is that the old law could not make anybody perfect because, hang with me, underline this, no law can make anyone perfect. You will always fail to comply. Not because the law is bad, but because we find ways to work around law. And even if we decide we can't find a way around it, we will just absolutely then ignore a bit or rebel against it. We are a people who do this. Have you ever driven? You've been on the roads? There you are. You know what the laws are about when to signal, about lane changes, about speed limits. But do you see that happening? But we have laws. How many more laws do we need to make this happen? Well, the answer is it doesn't happen that way. What we just have to do is get the majority of people to agree to a general standard. Well, God gave this law, but the law could make you compliant, but it couldn't make you good because laws can't. But that law was not a mistake. It wasn't evil. Now what happens though? We have a better hope. We now have an ability to draw near to God, verse 18 says, because a, big, a better, bigger hope has been introduced into the story. And are we sure about this? Oh yeah, there's an oath, verse 20. It was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, and again, quoting out of Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. I'm, I'm not a Southern Gospel fan, and I know a lot of you are. I'm not insulting it. I think we're all allowed to have our likes and dislikes. Uh, I don't listen to Gaither music, but the song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow, Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone, the lyrics of that song are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's it's kind of like, uh, just as I am, the lyrics are amazing. Because of Christ, and he is greater and above all things. When he makes an oath, it's gonna happen. Quick side jaunt here. Nobody really knows if we're pronouncing Yahweh right, and we've talked about the Tetragrammaton and all of that in earlier classes, so I'm not gonna do it here. But let's just go with Yahweh. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, wonderful name. We used to call it Jehovah because uh, we substituted some consonants in there, uh, really copying out of the German and the way that they had translated the scripture. So Jehovah, Yahweh, God's not gonna like you better if you call him one or the other. That said, there is a very thin thread out there of scholars who, when they try to find the origins of that name, believe that it comes from a name or a word which means the one who keeps his promises. And if I sound like I'm hedging a lot here, it's because I am. I'm just not really sure that their evidence holds up. And the majority of, of theologians and historians will say, eh, not so sure. But I think it's really cool that that's one of the ideas that the name originate and the idea, he keeps his promises. 
That's what Peter said, isn't it? He is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. He will keep his promises. He's made the oath. It always amazes me that people say, well, I didn't do that. You have to believe me. When no, we don't have to believe you. All right, if you believe this, you have to vote for me. No, I, I really don't. But they make a statement as if because they have said it, that has now placed it in truth and it cannot be disputed. Only God can do that. And God did that when he elevated Christ by sending him to us. And again, Jesus had to step down. I believe he was eternally co-equal with God. But he had to step down. And then Philippians chapter 2, because of his obedience on earth, what he did for us, he was brought back up and elevated with a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Because of this oath. Verse 23, now there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. So you had a lot of priests and they die and next new priests come in. But Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely. The word there also means throughout all time or forever. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's always there to help us get to God, to intercede. Because you know God, you know his son rather, his son will take you to God. That's the promise. It, it's really cool when you know somebody who can immediately unlock the doors. And because you know them, the path is clear. I won't go into detail, but I've gotten uh, several times to go speak at different events, uh, and then even a couple sporting events, <coughs> where somebody pretty powerful gave me uh, a badge or a, um, a lanyard holding a, a, an ID of some sort that literally, as you're walking, every door opens. People run to open that door and you're cleared through the crowd and you are, because not of you, not me, but because I knew somebody, they'd given me something that showed I was with them and therefore I could walk and go places other people couldn't go. And all of that was a gift from somebody big and powerful. And that's what God has given to us. The greatest and most powerful being in the universe, obviously, is God. What does he do? He gives us his son. What does his son do? He takes us to the Father and intercedes for us always. He will forgive us always. He'll be able to save us always. You see, salvation is um, it's an event, but it's also a process. So people ask me when I was saved. I'll tell them when I was baptized. But then I'll bring up, he's still saving me. He still finds unsaved parts of me and works on me. <clears throat> I think I'm totally saved, by the way. When I say uns uh, unsaved parts, it's a metaphor. All right. Such a high priest, verse 26, meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day and after day, first for his own sins and for the sins of his people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son 
who has been made perfect forever. Wow. We need a better priest, this writer is saying. And he, he brings up all the priests you've known are weak, even a high priest. You know that's true. Every minister you've ever known, including me, certainly me, is weak. At times ineffectual, at times a disappointment, at times a failure. Uh, not saying the right thing and saying the wrong thing and uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. All of it, every minister you know. So you're not going to get to heaven tied to me. You're going to get to heaven the way I'm getting to heaven. We're tied to Jesus. And he saves us continually because he doesn't need to keep going for it. We don't have to wait for the next series of sacrifices. His sacrifices, well, there, there is one, himself. And that was enough. That was all. We don't need anymore. He gave himself and he is perfect forever. In chapter eight, and we're just gonna hit this a bit and then we'll stop. The point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in a sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by man. So better than Abraham, better than Levi, better than human priest, better than human thrones, better than the human temple. That was especially important because around the time this is written, the temple will go away. It has yet to be rebuilt. I know that a lot of end times people will say it will be rebuilt. I'm not convinced that that's what the scripture really is saying, but leave that to the side. As for now, these people need a place to worship, but the temple's going away or it has gone by this stage. So then what do we do? We go to the new temple, the new sanctuary, our Christ, because he's our temple, our sanctuary, our priest. Wow. He is all of these things. And what a, what a blessing. What a gift. We'll hold it off there since we've filled up your 30 minutes for this Wednesday. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have questions, comments, let us know. Info at rsafeharbor.com. Giving is always encouraged. It is never required. And these are not copyrighted. So you may download them to your heart's content, spread them and use them in churches, small groups, whatever, however you wish because the only reason we're able to do any of this is because Jesus and those who have blessed us, this isn't us. This is because of who we know and because of others who have paved the way. Isn't that amazing? Worldwide community of faith and love and he is perfect love and he loves you. Take a deep breath, relax. We'll see you next week.